Do you need another one? <laughs> no, we're good. <laughs> we're starting. Yeah. We're here, you guys. We're here. We did it. Um, I'm very excited about today's episode. Uh, we have the passion doctor yeah. on. Um, yeah. Uh, super interesting. We talk a lot about uh, ethical non-monogamy and polyamory and like how you approach it from a therapeutic lens, which I thought was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's new. It's very new. Um, yeah. Like Still a lot of research being done. About, well, maybe not a lot of research being done about, but there hasn't been a lot done before, and so now any of it is. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty cool, and like, yeah, uh, yeah, he's really awesome and interesting. We've never had a, a dude therapist on before. Psychologist too, right? Psychologist, yeah. yeah, in this in the field. So um, that was exciting, and uh, you guys are really gonna enjoy. Um, it, it, along with it, actually, because we talk about like trauma bonds and 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 relationship and my past relationship. I think it's really interesting. I just moved um, into my own place again. Congratulations. Thank you so Snaps. much. Snaps. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, a lot of the relationships that I made, friendships and otherwise and romantic after I got out of my like pretty like traumatic big breakup, um, I feel like w- like they were all in a period of like the post breakup era and moving i feel like has that has ended and now i've started like a new cycle which i think is really interesting um it's been like a year and like eight months almost nine months and um yeah for some reason i feel like that chapter is closed now like my like even like i look more similar to when we broke up than i did like afterwards because i like cut my hair and you know i did all these different things to sort of like feel fresh and new and I'm in a place that I like chose and I didn't make the decision. It wasn't reactive. It wasn't a a reactionary thing. It was like a, like a discipline. Like this is what I want. Mm -hmm. Um, this is what I'm moving towards. I want to make like a home in this particular place. Um, yeah. And so it's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think I've heard your previous relationship was about three years, right? Yeah. And I think I've always heard that it It takes takes about about half half the amount of time to Mm -hmm. really get to the next spot. And yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's so strange. Like I didn't, it didn't even dawn on me like while I was going through these motions of doing these things, you know, and the people that like, I really did get close to in that time, like uh, those relationships have sort of ended for now as well. And so it's like, it is totally like a finish, like a book, a chapter end end a chapter beginning or, or a new book even I yeah feel like, i mean i think it's cool. like you you go through a period where you're just trying to survive after something like that yeah in a lot of different ways emotionally mm-hmm. physically whatever it is and then as you get through that now you're to the point to where you get to be active yeah and, and thrive yeah and yeah and you're in a new spot and you get to make these choices and that's awesome yeah, yeah. so it's cool and and new and and it does feel really exciting and it it, it i feel like i was so interested in just being okay and you being done, you yeah. know, and that, and I, I thought that it happened earlier, and I it didn't, and it and I didn't yeah. realize it because I was like in the middle of it, of and obviously you still have residual stuff, and I have residual stuff that like I'm still working on, and self reflection and improvement is always a thing, but it does feel like this is a big, a big sort of like change in moving forward, and that it's well, cool. I'm excited for you, and congratulations. Thanks. Well, yeah. thanks. Um. Okay, well, listen to this episode and love it. I'm feeling yummy head to toe. You Welcome see me. To finding my yum. So I'm so 
excited today. We have our first uh, male clinical psychologist here, Dr. Adam Sheck. He is a passion doctor, clinical psychologist, sex, sex therapist, couples counselor, um, consensual non-monogamy, which is a big topic we're going to talk about today. But thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, I love that we got connected over Instagram. I mm-hmm. hate social media and love social media, but I think this is like one of the benefits of social mm-hmm. media is that it it just allows people to connect that might never have before. It's true. It's like every other relationship. There's <laughs> there's the up and the downsides. There you go. That's true. Um, well, I'd love to hear. So you've been in practice for 25 years, right? A little more, but yeah. Okay. Time um, keeps ticking. Yeah. Time doesn't stop, right? It's a little <laughs> incessant little, mm-hmm. little bee. Um, yeah, so I'd love to start kind of like on your journey of like what even got you interested in becoming a psychologist and mm-hmm. then how did you evolve into kind of this place of focusing on couples and focusing on um, being more of a sex therapist and working to reignite people's passions? Oh, let me take a deep breath. That's a, yeah. that's a, that's a lot a to deal with. Yeah, yeah. but that's <laughs> my life. Um, really, it's interesting because I started as um, uh, an engineer. I started uh, becoming a psychologist was my second career. I started as an engineer because I had an analytic mind, Mm -hmm. still do, um, but was very shy, introverted, not comfortable around people. So I found something where I can be analytic that fulfilled that. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really happy. Being good at something isn't the same as uh, it it nurturing you. Sure. You know, it's like the the, the story... you know, do what you want, the money will follow. Mm, maybe, maybe. Sometimes I think it's bullshit. Can I say that on this? Or You can say okay. curse, fuck, Great. shit, damn. I will. This yeah. is the seven. So it's <laughs> like, you know, do what you're good at, the money will follow. Do what you love, you'll be happy. Right. And if you can find both. So I wasn't happy as an engineer. Uh, the reason I got into psychology is I got married. Oh. And, you know, it was not a great relationship. We both brought whatever we brought to it. Sure. And uh, got into couples counseling. Uh, I liked the idea of therapy. I stayed in it. She didn't stay in it. The marriage didn't stay. But that was the blessing because it got me into psychotherapy. And oh, from that's there, really cool. yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting journey. I'm grateful for it. Yeah. Uh, and it got me to really start to want to understand myself and go deeper into who I was, am. Mm-hmm which is a never ending journey. And <laughs> yeah. it, it eventually I decided, I'm, I think I like this, I wanna do this. And I went back to, to grad school, got a doctorate in clinical psychology and started my own private practice here in Los Angeles um, in psychotherapy and was drawn to couples work to begin with. One, it's, um, we teach what we need to learn. So right. I definitely <laughs> wanted to get on the other side of it this time. Yeah, uh, And it's recession proof. So from a business point, you know, <laughs> I love that. There will yeah. always be couples. Yes, yeah. Yeah. There'll always be couples and counseling is cheaper than divorce, at least in Los Angeles. <laughs> so it made sense. I mean, in a, and I don't mean it in a cynical way. It's just, you know, it's pragmatic. If you're going to be doing something you enjoy doing, you have to make a living at it or, you know, then yeah. you're, you're, you're setting a, a poor uh, role model for for your patients and yes. people you're working with Absolutely. so really half i'd say half half my practice are individuals with relationship issues the other half are couples and moresomes you talked about consensual and non-monogamy right. um so really i just started working in it i got certificated in imago relationship therapy uh in 1998 which is one 
one of the first forms of uh, identified forms of couples counseling and, mm -hmm. and work. Uh, I've studied many other forms since then, and um, there's so many. There's so much to learn, and I discovered I had a gift of working with long-term committed couples who had lost the spark. It, it needed some support in reigniting the, the passion, and that's how I became known as the Passion Doctor. Got it. And of course, passion is more than just sex and, and the rest, so it really expanded from there. Uh, so work with a lot of couples, a lot of individuals, and probably the last five years or so, more and more couples are coming in because they want to open up their relationship or explore, you know, non-traditional relationships. And some come in, I've worked with throuples and, and uh, other configurations too, which... Uh, it's fascinating work. Yeah. You know, again, if uh, to me, it's, uh, you know, if two is challenging, three is exponentially more challenging. <laughs> sure. And yeah. again, I admire the people that want to do that, and I support them in understanding the best way to do that and, and creating their best relationships. So I want to go in, uh, into each of the things that you just mentioned. But sure. um, I'm curious, because you kind of came into this, in a relationship that yes. sort of dissolved. Yes. Then as you did your training and then as you mm -hmm. started working with other couples, like has your approach to your own relationships and your own like sexual interactions changed dramatically then? Like has it has it evolved in quite a different way? I, I would imagine it would have to, but mm -hmm. well, uh, hopefully we're evolving regardless. Well, that's and, true. And I've been practicing you know, since 1998 yeah. and, and even before that in grad school. So I've grown as a person and my relationships have, and you know, maybe a, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, but yeah, it's definitely when you're working with however many couples I'm working in a week, a couple, you know, dozens, let's say, um, the words are coming out of my mouth which means they're going back into my ears. And if I'm listening to them, I got to hear them. And I can't sure. be saying things that I'm violating or not, you know, sure. paying attention to. So, yeah, it keeps me uh, more on my toes. It keeps me more in my own personal integrity of that. And I learn so much from the people I work with, too. Yeah. You know, they teach it just as much as, as we teach them. I just know how to make a living uh, at yeah. it. And, they, of course, they get a lot of value uh, on that. And, sure. you know, some of stayed together some have not some have gotten married some have uh, expanded not my job to decide who's going to stay together who's not totally really that that's to be presumptuous of, of me it's mine is to put people into connection and let their you know deeper psyche deeper soul whatever words you want to use um uh, speak and right. let them decide so yeah it's influenced everything i do and more and more so in terms of like reigniting couples passion which mm -hmm. is one of the things that you say you kind of start with is yes so where you have a bunch of different techniques you're saying in trainings that you you've mm -hmm. been through so so where do you start with a couple and and what is the process of figuring out like what would work best for them or or what is mm -hmm. the key to figuring out like what needs to be reignited or in what mm -hmm. fashion i gotcha well, it would start with them understanding the psychology of attraction. Because, mm -hmm. you know, why are we drawn to the people we're drawn to? Yeah. Because, I mean, I'm sure you're curious about why you date who you date and, and same. So understanding it's important. Mm -hmm. 
So it really starts out Psych 101. I give them a little bit of psychoeducation, but not too much because you talk, people start checking out, and, and people are coming in crisis. No one comes in to see a, a psychologist because everything is great. Sure. You know, it's like they're usually the research shows couples come in six or seven years after they discover they have a problem. So they're in crisis. It's like they've, you know, someone's head's metaphorically gone through the windshield. They're bleeding and they need someone to, to put them together now. Sure. But the psychology of attraction, really, we're, we're born blank slates. You know, it's we, we have a temperament. We have a predisposition. We have genetics that decide our sensitivities and our arousal levels. But... We're blank slates, so as, as infants, we just absorb everything. Mm -hmm. You know, we're sponges. We absorb all the sights and smells and sounds, and, you know, what's that? What's that? What's that? Who are these people? Let's, let's say it's, there's, you know, just a, a nuclear family or a heteronormative one just for uh, ease of, of this. It's like, so mommy and daddy, whatever they do, or daddy and daddy, or mommy and mommy, or, you know, whatever they do, that's love. Right. You know, their interaction is love, and we take that in, and that's our blueprint. You know, that's our relationship blueprint. That's our uh, imago. Imago is just Latin for image. It's the image we take in. So if daddy's a raging alcoholic, that's what love is. If mommy's a self-absorbed narcissist, that's what love is. So yeah. it's in there. It's in our psyche. We take in all the good stuff, too, but... Again, memory is designed to take in the strongest memories or the ones with the deepest emotional content. Sure. Because we're designed uh, with a negativity bias to protect ourselves. You know, we're survival machines. Our, our, our brains are there for survival, so we have to with protect. With a negativity bias? I've never yeah. heard anybody say that. Yeah. The neuro neurologically, our, our amygdala, the whole arousal system, is, is and, and memory is with a negativity bias. We will, we're always scanning for danger. So it's there. It's, it goes in quick, 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 quick because those strong negative emotions tie it in. Interesting. You know, it's like there, uh, there are a lot the of great books. Is that the case for the entire animal kingdom then in terms of like obviously we have more, we have mm -hmm. a frontal lobe and we can process more and, and we, right. we, that's why we rose to the top of the food chain. Mm -hmm. But uh, like is that like the animal base core is that negativity bias that, triggers us so that we can be protected and that's be our survival that's the lizard brain the the reptilian brain that just does things uh, below the level of consciousness and do you think that uh, because I, that's actually something that i've been struggling with a lot is like mm -hmm. how do you shift into the positive as opposed to focusing a lot on the negative because mm -hmm. i feel like i get trapped sort of in that that circle right you know and you kind of spiral downward and it takes active work to really like engage into the positive space it does yeah totally takes active work and the quick answer for you if you want to um, yeah, something to play with is you have to sit with some positive interaction for at least 15 seconds so that it'll start to go from short-term memory into long-term memory mm. so if you're having a, a positive interaction with your partner you know stay with it enjoy it savor it a little longer if you're enjoying something you're eating savor it a little longer and it'll go in but as, if we just go boom 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 so we don't get to to counter the other piece but yeah it's like the flowers smell great but the saber-toothed tiger is coming uh, behind me <laughs> sure. which which is genetically you know evolutionarily going to keep me alive sure 
Uh, so back to the Imago and yeah. the uh, couples. Right. Mm-hmm. So we take in all that. We have a, a blueprint, that right. relationship blueprint, which is some of the work I do with uh, couples early on is understanding that. And now, so we, we, we're, you know, adults and we're moving through the world. And when we meet someone who has enough of the qualities of our caregivers, and it, it might not just be parents or extended family or teachers or sometimes just Many people are raised on television, so it's, you know, whatever is the latest, sure. you know, modern families in there. Fathers Knows Best is probably not so much anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know, none of them make parents out to be the brightest people. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, so if we meet someone that has enough of the positive qualities and the negative qualities, boom, we fall in love, mm-hmm. which is a biochemical reaction. You know, romance is great, too, but it's a biochemical reaction. Our bodies are flooded all of a sudden with all these positive hormones and neurotransmitters. we got oxytocin, which is like the cuddle, mm-hmm. you know, hormone. we got serotonin, which, you know, half the world are on SSRI, so they understand what that is. Yeah. You know, it's dopamine, the reward drug. Uh, so we're flooded with these. We're essentially on sp- and phenethylamine, which is in chocolate, PEA. We're flooded with speed and heroin. So we're medicated and we fall in love and you're perfect. And, sure. you know, while you're perfect in that honeymoon stage that lasts maybe three months, six months, everything you do is perfect. I only see the positive qualities I was attracted to. Mm-hmm. The negative ones go down the wayside. Oh, he left the toilet seat up and I fell in. It's so adorable. Oh, she she lost my car keys. Oh, no big deal. Yeah. But after three, four months, you know, body builds a tolerance. Now we start to see reality. Now, like uh, Carl Jung, uh, the big time psychoanalyst in, in the 20th century, you have to have a relationship with the person now, not your thoughts of the person. Right. And the first thing we have to do is forgive them for not being this idealized image that we created. Totally. So, you know, then the relationship can start. And people move so fast, uh, a lot of people don't like that. So there's serial monogamous. They date, uh, they love the feeling of falling in love, and then boom, let's move on to the next because there's something wrong with you because you were so perfect and now you're not. What's wrong? And you were so perfect. And so it's like same shit, different day syndrome. And now, you know, uh, uh, if you live long enough or you grow up enough, you decide maybe I'm the common denominator. Maybe it's not them. (laughs) It's like maybe I have to look and see, again, psychology of attraction. What am I drawn to? And it's not bad that we're drawn to these people because, you know, on a psychological level or a spiritual Mm -hmm. level, if you want to look at that, you, we can heal uh, our ourselves and our partner. We can start to heal those wounds of childhood that we all have, you know, yeah. some bigger than others, with this person. If we can start to be conscious, if we can start to be aware of who our wi- we're with and, and see the truth instead of distort, we can really start to grow up and mature and have an even deeper relationship. And that's, you know, a big part of reigniting that spark. You know, and for me, it's not as much about technique. It's like technique is easy. You know, you can teach technique in a weekend workshop or an hour seminar or whatever. But if every time I see you, it reminds me of my mother that I loathe because of blah, blah, blah. It's not good for erections. There's no arousal. (laughs) Except for some people, it's, you know, kinked in that way. Yeah, it's it's woven in. Yeah, yeah. but that's something else to unwind, too, because love doesn't have to equal pain. We can start to separate the threads, and now we can have a, a pure relationship whatever that means, you know, I don't mean in a you know, judgy way, but less adulterated by our past. Mm-hmm. At least it's clear I'm seeing who I'm with, I'm choosing who I'm with. I just uh, became acquainted with the terminology of trauma bonding. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which I feel like is a lot of what you're talking about, which mm-hmm. is like bonding in this sort of intense, electrified sort of way with people who are very reminiscent of what we're mm-hmm. used to, what we're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is based on, you know, sort of this like fight or flight response, which mm-hmm. is like, yeah. I get my kicks from like, I don't know if they're going to call. I don't know if they're going to be right. there the next day. Like I have an adrenaline pumping and it's mm-hmm. sort of this, you know, give and take of something that does feel absolutely. Um, so with, with couples, I imagine, uh, so there's a couple things because, uh, mm-hmm. are you familiar with Esther Perel's work? Mm-hmm. So a lot of her theory is, you know, I feel like there's been a lot of, um, myth that women aren't as sexual as men or that they don't stray as much as men. And I feel like mm-hmm. both are very sexual beings and, yes. and in, in very different ways and have been suppressed in different ways as well. Yes. So is that part of it because um i think from my experience and from some of the research i read women get bored especially mm-hmm. in the sexual space like more quickly sometimes than men mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. and it doesn't quite get acknowledged and so i'm just curious like how you work with couples in sort of figuring that out and like um moving forward in that space too mm-hmm. while uncovering the emotional aspects of it well you brought up Probably three or four different things, a and, uh, things. and it's My okay. Brain's like I can ping ponging. <laughs> I, I can track them. It's okay. I'm, I'm a trained professional. <laughs> there you go. So you started with trauma bonding. Yes, uh, I did. Yeah. So Carolyn Mace, who not a therapist, a little more woo woo uh, into chakras and healing, but really great, interesting things, talks about woundology. Mm-hmm. You know, we meet at the level of our wounds. Uh, psychologists would call it um, match differentiation. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we, we meet at the same level of emotional differentiation. I kind of simplify it and just mm-hmm. say water seeks its own level. So a couple Got comes it. in, it's like, it's his fault, it's her fault, it's their fault. I'm good, they're bad, fix them. No. People are in the same level. If, if it's a long-term relationship, if it's more than three months, six months, a year, two years, five years, you're in the same place. Right. You may show it in a different way. So, yeah, people meet at the level of wounds. And the challenge sometimes is we start to heal our wounds, we discover we don't have that much in common anymore. That can happen. Uh, In terms of um, getting bored, getting stifled, we are novelty-seeking creatures. You know, that's part of our our brain chemistry, too. And yeah, it's been... Men have gotten more of a bad rap on this from evolutionary psychology. It's like, well, men are supposed to propagate their speed, their seed. They're supposed to be, you know, pollinating and going out and doing all this because... We need to keep the species going. Right. And women, they don't have to. But eh, not true. Women, you know, I would say, probably have a deeper and greater sexual energy than men. We're, yeah. we're a little bit limited. You know, women, women have an unlimited blood supply into, into the vulva and the, the sexual organs. And, you know, it's like marathon runners. Women, this is probably more sci- science than you want. But, no, but you know, from, from a biological standpoint, women have higher uh, body percent fat than men right. for many different reasons but because of that they're in it for the slow burn fat can metabolize on a slow level as opposed to men that's we're good for quick activities which is why you know ejaculation doesn't take that long for most of the right. species <laughs> but it's you know women are great long distance runners in in that way and men are better sprinters so yeah, it's it's communication, and we all know the story. To get between you know women's legs, you have to get between her ears. Right. It's the story. It's so 
novelty is there. And when couples come in and are, are first looking to say, yeah, maybe we'll open the relationship. Let's do this. Let's do this. You, I won't say usually, but more than half the time, it feels like something's more coerced because one person wants something that the other doesn't necessarily. And what I will usually do is seal the relationship, close the exits and, you know, escapes from affairs and doing other things and have the couple work on their own intimacy first. Because mm -hmm. if you don't have that going, what are you opening to? Right. You know, you have to clean up your own mess before you can start taking other people in and, and dealing with their messes or not. Right. So, of course, if, if we look at people as mirrors, it's easier to have 10 different mirrors and see 10 different aspects of myself. Sure. You know, it's harder to see all the aspects in one person, to see the different reflections, and yet we're very complex, and it can be done. I'm not, you know, advocating monogamy versus non-monogamy, though I'm advocating consensual non-monogamy as opposed sure. to just doing what you want and not letting your partner know. <laughs> but novelty is something we can create with our partner. That's the role of fantasy. That's the role of communication. It's like you can role play and act out or choose not to act out many different scenarios that are going to create it fresh and, and exciting as well. Right. So, yeah, couples, people don't know themselves, let alone the other. And for me to, one, I have to know my fantasies, which means I have to be willing to look at myself and explore. Two, I have to deal with my own shame, embarrassment, discomfort in sharing the fantasies. Sure. I was working with a couple just Thursday on that. It's like um, uh, the woman was just embarrassed to, to say what was there or just wasn't comfortable Sure. Or, you know, there's, there's the double standard. The man, you know, wants to be more aggressive and uh, he enjoys, um, you know, being a little rough. But it's like, I don't want to do it with my girlfriend. I love her. I want to find somebody else to do that with. So oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, that's uh, uh, thruple material. I see. Uh, it's, so it's the Madonna horse split just in a different kind of way. Yeah, I guess I've never... Uh, yeah, interesting. I guess mm -hmm. I've never thought about that in terms of like, if mm -hmm. you have a fantasy, you don't potentially want to do it with the partner that right. you have because you have a particular image that you want to keep of them. Right. And then you want to do it with somebody else. Right. Um, so you've worked with uh, numerous couples, I imagine, that mm -hmm. have had a violation of trust. Yeah. So in terms of... I'm just curious about your sort of takeaways from mm -hmm. that um, because I, I do love Esther Perel and I know that mm -hmm. she talks a lot about like it's not because of necessarily not getting something from the partner. It's like an individual seeking of I'm unfulfilled in my own self and so I'm looking elsewhere and I'm wondering if you have any observations or conclusions or, or sort of the things that have come out of it and how people have worked through mm -hmm. those types of Yeah, I'd say over, over the years, probably a third of the couples I see come in because of some violation, mm -hmm. whether it's an emotional affair, whether it's a physical affair, whether it's, you know, a financial betrayal, mm -hmm. you know, love and money. Those are the big things Freud sure. would say. Yeah. Um, so... I get that people are, uh, Esther Perel, a lot of the others, I have some other colleagues that have written some books recently on, on yeah, there's a lot more literature. the new she monogamy, the this, the that, but, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's combined. It's like, yes, it takes um, a system to, to act out. So, yeah, I may be acting out because I'm not getting everything I need from you. 
that's not your fault. Right. It's my responsibility to communicate and to work these things through. If I choose to act out, if we have an agreement of monogamy and I break it, that is totally on me. Totally. You know, uh, so I want to be clear. Yes, there's a piece that you had to do with this. And that's not the first thing to look at. Right. You know, we need to heal the rupture, heal the betrayal, if that's possible, before we can get to how to prevent it from happening again, even if there's the choice to stay together. Because, again, there's sometimes the choice. Sometimes it's, I'd call it another coerced choice in a way. It's like, oh, I don't want to give up my money. Oh, I don't want the kids to have a broken family, blah, blah, as opposed to, I just can't stand you, but I'll tough it out for another, you know, five years until... the best? Yeah. So it's challenging because... Um, on the one hand, what do we need to reestablish trust? Right. You know, some people think, I need to know every detail in the world. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Which, again, can be violating of your partner. It's like, and, uh, you know, the theory or the thought behind it is, well, whatever you tell me can't be as bad as my worst images. Sure. Not always the truth, (laughs) you know? Right. Not always the truth. So I try and pace things in terms of that, in terms of what needs to be revealed, what's behind it, what will that do to support the relationship on that? Because we don't know. There's no guarantees uh, on the other side of it. And then there's some that say, I want to be able to see your your phone. I want all your passwords. I want everything in existence. And again, that's like something. It's a control. Mm-hmm. It's another vi- a violation on top of the other violation. I want to do this so I can punish you. And now we're, you know, right. you're you're getting into more dynamics that have to be unwound later on. So it's tricky. Anything that the partner needs they're allowed entitled and should request whether it's appropriate is something they have we have to all sort through and any of those have to have a time limit it's like Mm -hmm. okay if i'm going to open up uh, my voicemail and everything to you i can show it to you once i can open it for a week for two weeks a month but not for the rest of my life because again that's not appropriate right it comes to an issue of secrets versus privacy Mm -hmm. you know we're all entitled to privacy in our lives But secrets can be toxic uh, and and usually are in relationships in that way. So ultimately, not the best thing. Privacy is important, especially for people who have been violated growing up that had invasive parents that didn't respect their boundaries and and the rest. So it's very tricky. Do you, when you're working with couples, do you work individually with each two? Um, No. No. No, I'm I'm not a big believer in that. On occasion, I may do for a specific purpose, but in general, the treatment unit is the relationship. Mm. I'm okay. treating a relationship. I'm not treating two individuals. Usually, I will either uh, they'll either already be in individual therapy, I or it. I may suggest they go into individual therapy because sometimes couples work as contraindicated. If someone's deep in the throes, and and different theories have different thoughts, if someone's deep in the throes of addiction. You're probably not, there's no one present to do the work with. Sure. So it's like, you got to get a handle on this first. If someone's deep in a psychiatric illness and they're in a psychotic place, not so much. If they're, you know, um, so deeply depressed and, and in a vegetative state that they can't function, there's not someone there. So it, it really has to be considered what's going on on that. But yeah, individually, usually not. Because again, there's the issue of secrets. Uh, it's like, okay, someone comes in. Well, I didn't want to say this in front of in front of my husband, but I've been cheating with uh, three other people for the last year. Got it. It's like, 
now what do I do? Right. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to be the bad guy. I can't encourage this. But so I just prevent it. And in my informed consent, I have it. Don't keep secrets. There's no secret agreement. Don't tell me anything. Got it. Seven. I have a question. Actually. Separately. Um, I was curious. Like, it seems like something mm-hmm. that's come up and we've touched on a little bit is mm-hmm. uh, consensual non-monogamy seems to be, yes. I, I'm not going to say the word, tr- well, I'm going to say the word trendy, but I don't mean it that way. I, I mean, it's, it's like it's increased in people the, knowing about it. Yes. Visibility, it certainly, the, yes. the terminology. And, yes, and yes. so I guess I'm curious as to if you have any ideas as to what's led that kind of movement more. Um, or am I just, like, I just didn't hear about it much 10 years ago or 20 years ago and it was still as popular then as it is now. Well, we live in L.A. here, I mean, so I, I think that's, that. that's part of the sources here. There's a lot. But I think there's a, been an upswelling of the sex-positive movement, mm-hmm. which is not only about uh, non-monogamy. It's about many other aspects of sexuality that are, there's so much judgment on. But, you know, the sex-positive Los Angeles, there are organizations uh, all over the world now. So I think as we have more visibility, as we have social media, again, that love-hate relationship, yeah. people are more out there with it. <clears throat> Uh, television shows and series are bringing it up a little bit more in a non-pejorative way. Right. You know, we look back and there used to be shows on the 60s and the swingers and the, the you know, there are plenty of swinger communities that um, are clean, self-policing, that enhance relationships. There's a shadow side to everything, but I think it's just becoming more prevalent. And, you know, the challenge for me is there's still no clear research uh, there's a little bit but no clear research or uh, therapeutic models for treating it so we're all doing our best to you know use the principles we know and find ways to to make it happen oh interesting okay so then how do you approach consensual non-monogamy i know you said a lot of people come in and you feel like one person isn't quite as on board as the other Mm -hmm. um so i'd love to talk about that and then also if you've had any couples come in who both are on board and Mm -hmm. are like just trying oh yeah i've have many that have come in again it's los angeles (laughs) and i'm i'm on a certain number of listservs so people find me uh because it's hard to find a, a a therapist. One, it's hard to find a sex therapist. It's hard to find, and shouldn't be, but it's hard to find a therapist who's non-judgmental about these pieces of it. Again, mm-hmm. not something people learn in grad school. You have to have a, a lot of postgraduate training. Right, we touched this. on this, and you mentioned yeah. in training there's only 10 hours required right. of sex therapy. In, in, right? in, yeah, in California to become licensed as a psychotherapist, either marriage and family therapist, a psychologist, social worker, only 10 hours of human sexuality study is required, and usually it's done in a weekend workshop. Right. So Which it's, it's nothing. again, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's nothing. It's such a big part of our makeup and being. Yeah, well, it's, uh, again, the license is a minimum scope. It's like sure. you, you know enough to be dangerous in many areas. <laughs> but to specialize, you really want to do, do, do the work. Um, so I'm not sure which point we we're yeah, on yeah, now. Yeah, we were talking we, we about um, dealing, because you were saying oh, yeah. there's no yeah, framework and no map yes. for how to deal with consensual right. non-monogamous. So a lot of what I do is is uh, comes from old family therapy models. If I have a thruple coming in, it's like it's like a family in a way. So it's examining the roles people have in the relationship, examining the, the agreements, the communication. Yeah, many come in, well, I won't say many, but just as many come in where everyone's on board is the part that I would call coerced polyamory, where uh, 
And there can be happy endings in, in that too. I had one couple that came in for that about a year and a half ago because they'd been together 10 years, great relationship, except he would cheat periodically. And um, we, you know, again, as I said, we sealed the exits. They worked on their own intimacy and ultimately they decided um, she was okay with it. She just didn't like the secrecy and the betrayal. So it was a clean slate. Nobody from the past was uh, allowed into the relationship now. Mm -hmm. And they chose together, you know, mm -hmm. so they were both involved in it, whether they were, you know, um, swinging, which, you know, we'd call recreational sex, more some sure. polyamories of the heart. They weren't looking to add a third person into their relationship. They just wanted um, the experiences and the excitement of it and to bring it into theirs. And a lot of it was just their fantasies were exciting for them too. Sure. And ultimately they ended up getting married. So oh. it, it works. It works on that. But yeah, some come in. I have a, a few now that are just challenged because of their histories. They've had betrayals in the past and they're trying to figure out what are our, our agreements now. Right. I what think. are the, and is that, that's one of the biggest things. So mm -hmm. my traditional model has been monogamy. Mm -hmm. Like that was, you know, what I grew up with, although my parents got divorced, but what my viewpoint was, I didn't mm -hmm. even understand what consensual or ethical non-monogamy would look like. Yes. Um, but that's a big part of it is clearly identifying like mm -hmm. what is comfortable and what is not comfortable, what is mm -hmm. in and out of like the boundaries. And so I guess even I'm curious on because I talk about if I were to find a partner that mm -hmm. I had good enough communication mm -hmm. and trust with right. that I would be interested in exploring it. But mm -hmm. those two things are so foreign right. to me, truthfully, I that I can't ya. even quite conceptualize how it would work. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I'm curious because I imagine the boundaries have to also fluctuate because people and real life and bringing other people in changes mm -hmm. things. There's always a risk. Right. You know, I had a friend, um, still have a friend, who um, I won't say is way ahead of the times, but, uh, but ahead of the, the social media. She and her husband were in an open marriage 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And they were married. They had a great relationship. They brought a, a third in, a woman, and uh, the woman lived with her, lived with them. And they had a great relationship, all three, which is, you know, that's more open-hearted in that way. It's not, they weren't about recreational sex, per se. This is more about just having someone and having multiple relationships and, and making it all work. Ultimately, the husband uh, fell in love with someone which wasn't the issue, but the issue is he kept the secret. Mm -hmm. And she ended up divorcing him because of the secret uh, of that. That was the betrayal that, that hurt. It wasn't who you're with and what you're with. So it's it's important to be clear. But as you said, you know, you think your parents were monogamous. You think they were sure. whatever they are. Who knows? It's all in your psyche someplace on that. But it starts, I would say, this is not the, the, the primer in how to open up your relationship, but uh, yeah. it would start with being clear in your own relationship and what you want and communicating. But also, you know, Dan Savage um, mm -hmm. created a term monogamish yeah. a while ago. I love Dan Savage. Yeah, yeah. Which, which now it's more like um, expanded monogamy is what I would call it. Sure. You know, so expanded monogamy, I have a relationship. It's like my relationship. It's like we're basically monogamous, but we've been together a long time, and I think we're, we're older, too. So it's like uh, some people still have the energy, but it's like we explore things together. 
for the most part. If I wanted to do something with someone, I imagine I could. We would communicate. We'd do, but I just don't have the desire at this point. You know, we've done many different things, but it's more together. Oh, let's go do this. And uh, often it's in a, a more sacred space. Maybe it's we're doing a, we're going to a workshop in sacred sexuality, and there are just other people there who are in that open, safe place too. And it's in some ways it's safer to explore when you're out of the country or out of the state because it's not not going to yeah and it's not going to threaten your relationship in that way of someone you're going to see every day Mm -hmm. so that feels safe uh, often too yeah so it's a different way to start dipping your toe in but again you don't know what you're going to be into until you start experiencing things and you may surprise yourself what's there people Really, um, sexuality and, and identity is a lot more fluid. It's There's a willingness for it to be more fluid now. Mm-hmm. Let's say at least on the coasts. I'm not sure what sure. most of the, the country in the world is doing. The country is doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But so. there's, a, there's an acceptability in, in fluidity. I mean, there's generally been one for women. Uh, again, there's the double standard, but men are starting to be able to express a little more fluidity and explore too without being labeled or, or demeaned right a little bit yeah i'd love to touch on the masculinity aspect mm-hmm. um in in a moment but mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like so it's interesting because i brought up non or a consensual non-monogamy with a, a lot of people now and we have these talks about theories about monogamy and how monogamy has changed you know dramatically since we became a species and since we've been Mm -hmm. interacting Mm um we used to you know only have one person from when we were very young and then that was like the person that we paired with and now we have many partners we were dead at 35 42 exactly right right right. so our our life span was much shorter and so i'm wondering because a lot of the feedback i get or just people's like initial reaction is like oh i could never do that you know like I'm too jealous. I could never do it. And I think it's an interesting moment to be able to reflect of like, okay, am I saying that because I truly feel like that? Or is it because like society has projected a lot onto what a relationship is supposed to look like? My ego is supposed to be wrapped up in this, like almost owning this other person and having that other person just for myself. And if I actually look at, like, how I feel, only without as much as I can, like, you know, get rid of this sort of framework that's been put on me, what's left over? And I think that's, like, a big conversation that I've been having. And it's difficult because of where we live. But I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. But that's sort of where I get interested in non-monogamy of, like, well, we've just been told this thing for, you know, hundreds of years. And, like, what if... What if it's just what we're being told and it's not necessarily an authentic reaction that we're having? It's like our ego being triggered. Mm-hmm. Um, yes and yes and <laughs> yes. All, all true. I mean, you, you have to get the concept of, of romantic love and um, pair bonding because of romance and by choice and marriage is only a couple of hundred years old. Right. You know, before that, it's like marriage was about securing estates and property and, you know, uh, power, you know, uniting kingdoms, you know, on the highest level mm-hmm. and the rest. So the, the fact we have the choice is not that that new. Right. Or not that old, I should say. My bad. Um, and hence why a lot of civilizations, America is pretty young, but a lot of Europe is you, you get married and then to someone because that's what you do and that keeps the estate and the, everyone happy and then you have a mistress or whatever. 
and totally acceptable, and it's what people did. Um, so yeah, it, part of it are belief systems, the messages we have growing up. I mean, enough generations of it, and it becomes epigenetic, and it's in our DNA. But um, you just don't know until you know, until you try. People have the urges anyway. Right. So just being honest about your urges, fantasies, impulses with your partner is the first step. Not every fantasy needs to be acted out on, nor should it be acted out on. Sometimes yeah. it's better just having it and sharing it or you know, keeping it to yourself if you really want. But sharing it can be a lot more fun, and whether you choose to act it out with your partner or in a larger realm. But yeah, the conversation is great. You're having it. And they say, no, not me, not me. Well, yeah, no one ever grew up and, uh, you know, as a kid and said, I'm going to grow up and be a heroin addict either. Not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sure. but there we go. <laughs> yeah. So, totally. you know, it's a tricky one. Yeah. And as it becomes more uh, visible, there's a little more permission to consider it. And mm -hmm. maybe take the step. Like I said, expanded monogamy is is less threatening. Mm -hmm. And you may discover them. They may take you down a path that you didn't expect. And again, um, consciousness is a one-way trip. It's really hard to shut it down once you become aware of, of totally. things inside yourself. So yeah, I, I admire you for looking on this with your friends. But... And some of it's egoic. I, I've had some throuples where, where um, somewhere there's um, a man and two two women, um, and you know he yeah part of it is I like the way my friends look at me. They think I'm I'm the man here because I've you know, which for this guy it's probably more because he's got the money. <laughs> but uh, who knows? Who yeah. knows the truth of any of it? In terms of jealousy, it exists. It's not going to go away. That's part of our design in in our system jealousy possessiveness it's there for territoriality and, and the rest and for you know polyamory there's a concept of compersion mm -hmm. not compassion but compersion which is a deeper level of really um it's hard to put words to it but it's of really wanting the best for your partner and and uh, being so open-hearted that if the best is for him to share something with someone else you're in Mm. You know, and uh, not saying that's an easy place to get to or a place that we can always be in either. Sure. But that's, you know, the ultimate, the, the goal on this is how can we be more open hearted in anything? And that's relationship. How can I have more love? How can I share more love? How can I do that? Right. Right. Um, the last piece, because it came up and I think this is a big conversation, is sort of the masculinity piece and that idea of... Mm -hmm. There, there's such rigidity around hetero-presenting mm -hmm. men. Um, and I wonder how much that comes up in, in your work as well as we're hopefully allowing that to become a little bit more fluid um, with, with a little bit less, you know, framework around it. But I feel like, I feel like it's truthfully like the one of the biggest parts of the Me Too movement to progress forward is like this mm -hmm. other part of like how we raise men, how we tell them that they have to behave and, mm -hmm. and emotion emotionally um, as well. And so I'm wondering like what piece of your work sort of you've noticed that or like what has come about in that. It's there. I find more that comes up when I'm working with, with male patients individually, mm -hmm. not as much in relationships. Sometimes it, oh, okay. it will, um, but it is a challenge because of all the messages are, are there, all the confusion, and then it's um, complicated more. You know, if we look at um, 
sexual abuse figures for men and women, uh, they're higher than, than, you know, they're reported, of, of course, but, you know, plenty of men have been violated by men growing up. Sure. And that creates a certain level of confusion because it's like, one, when anyone's sexually violated, there's some, sometimes often our body responds. There's a pleasure component as well as a, a disgust component of knowing this is wrong. Right. So is our body betraying us or is our body just being our body? And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So now am I drawn to those sensations because I truly am drawn to them? Or am I drawn to them because I was abused and I'm trying to heal something on some level or blah, blah, blah. So there's a lot to sort and unwind. That's, you know, that's from a trauma-based piece. There are people, you know, the men that were raised without fathers. So now I'm looking for a father figure. And, you know, sometimes that gets sexualized. So there's that piece. There, then there's, you know, uh, I think in couples more the experience of, uh, of pegging, of having women pen- in heteronormative couples, uh, uh, women penetrating men mm-hmm. anally is uh, being discussed more. Interesting. You know, and again, uh, what you allow into your body doesn't define necessarily uh, who you are. It's no. like there's a lot of, of writing now about uh, men who are in uh, relationships with women that like to have sex with men from time to time. Sure. Does that make them gay, homosexual? Does it put them on the continuum? Which, again, everything's on a continuum. Yeah. And it confuses a lot, confuses their partners. Right. I, I've had couples come in with that that issue as well and it's like what do we do how do we explore how do I give permission you know if this is who you are I want you to have what you want but I need to know blah 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 so hard to discuss in terms of a formula or this is what it is but I'm just interested of like I mean the pegging thing is very interesting Mm -hmm. because I truthfully just learned about that when we first started that this podcast Mm -hmm. that came up and I had never even heard of that. Ah. But I think one component that I think is really interesting about men Mm -hmm. and and sex and sexuality Mm -hmm. is like, you know, if you look historically at like Greek, Roman, Mm -hmm. even Mexican cultures, like Mm -hmm. men were having relations with other men. It wasn't until, you know, more pagan religion and, and, and Mm -hmm. other religions came in where it became this really taboo sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just think it's very interesting because when I, especially my last relationship and growing up, like mm-hmm. I couldn't see, I saw it as like a very definitive line of like, mm-hmm. oh, you're either gay or you're straight. Mm-hmm. There's no middle ground there. You know, I was seeing it in a very binary sort of way. Right. And so I think like as we start to move, hopefully into this more accepting, it allows mm-hmm. people for more exploration and without having to particularly define. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, again, that's the Kinsey scale of right. sexuality. So it, it's it's all there. Um, I had a thought, but it slipped away. So it'll either come back or... Yeah, <laughs> good. Uh, oh, you were talking about Gre- Greco-Roman times. Yeah. You know, and part of that was based on... I don't know if I would call it misogyny, but you know, back then the Romans, the men would hang out together and fornicate together because the women were second-class citizens. They were just there to, to make babies for them. They sure. devalued them. So... Again, everything is tainted with beliefs and, and separation. Right. And I won't say that's always, but that was a big part of, of yeah, the, yeah. the belief then. Which is an int- but but that's just, it's so fascinating because like here we have such a power dynamic and mm-hmm. a financial structure as well, right? Yes. But that's not integrated in that now. Like mm-hmm. male-male interaction right. is not prized above because women right. are lower in a different way. Right. And so that's why I think it's just so fascinating. Uh, you know, I also think like, 
men just want to put their dicks in things and like it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. have to matter like what the thing like who you know what gender we've decided mm-hmm. it belongs to um yeah but uh, yeah that's an interesting that's definitely an interesting point. Uh, that's a whole different uh, a whole conversation different <laughs> but I, I i imagine it it does uh Make it interesting for you to date in L.A. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's very, very true. Um, Well, this has been amazing. Thank you for taking time to talk to us and sharing your expertise. Um, This has been so fun. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It has. My pleasure. How do people find you? And if they want to get a session or they just want to follow your blogs and what you're doing. They can find me at my website, thepassiondoctor.com. Doctor spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R. Adam Sheck, S-H-E-C-K. If you google me you'll find me mm-hmm. um i can give you my phone number if, if you want it's, you're on social it, media i'm on social media you find hundreds of google pages of me i'm on insta it's all passion doctor so okay, you'll cool. find me instagram you'll find me on facebook you'll find me on linkedin it's but um i'm you know my website uh if you subscribe to my newsletter i have a lot of um, relationship freebies there a lot of special reports ebooks that um are complimentary if you'd like to reach out to me i'm happy to do a complimentary 15 minute consultation by phone or zoom uh, again i work throughout you know the country and the world uh in that just to see if i'm the right person if i'm not i'm happy to refer you to someone that, that would be the right person so I appreciate it. It's been fun. And yeah. you know, there's we're just scratching the surface. We are. <laughs> you know, it's true. Yay! Well, thanks. <laughs> you bet. Yay! Woohoo. I learned a lot. <laughs> I learned a lot. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed that one. Yeah. Um, I love talking about non-monogamy. Uh, I actually had a conversation with a guest who came in who... Um, is actually on like a, a big TV show, and I, but I didn't realize it. And we talked about like swinging and non-monogamy, and and the, they're a little older, and they were like, "It's so new," and blah blah blah. And I was like, ah, "It's not new, but it's, it's new definitely, and it's not right. It's definitely like being talked about more, yeah. and I think we're getting v- much clearer on what it looks like if you want to do it, you know? Yeah. Or yeah. like you know, you can fit into a a framework that's already created at least especially like in you know coastal cities i would imagine sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 the middle of the country i don't know what the fuck you guys are doing You're <laughs> i great, do because i started watching reality television oh no <laughs> we'll talk about that later <laughs> um well anyways as usual please um follow us on social media at finding my young podcast on facebook and instagram um we really appreciate your support send us messages if you want to be guest um, send us an email finding my yum at gmail.com and then rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts five stars send a review um, yeah we love your feedback uh, we've been getting some really lovely feedback about mm-hmm. like multiple episodes so we love it and it warms my heart and I want to hear from you especially if you want to be a guest so woohoo <laughs>